Okay, good morning, everybody. The topic this morning is Psychological Challenges, a Torah Perspective. Brishus, Dr. Lyons, Brishus, Mr. Yachnus, psychological professionals. I have to preface this subject with a story that I've told many, many times. You'll have to forgive me. I think it's the only way to, uh, to segue into this conversation. It's the famous marshal of the Chafetz Chaim. said, you have a person who's coming off the train, and uh, he brought with him a suitcase, and as he's walking off down the platform, he realizes, hey, my bag is missing. And then he hears someone shouting behind him, one of the porters. He's like, I have your bag, sir! I have it right over here! And he's schlepping this really heavy bag. And the guy says, that's not mine. No, of course it is. I saw you. You, you brought it on, but you forgot to take it off. I brought your bag. And the guy says back, that's not my bag. How do you know? It looks the exact same. He says, because my bag is very light. You wouldn't have to be schlepping it like that. Trust me, that's not my bag. Says a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that when we're stressing out over the mitzvos, when we're feeling the pressure and the anxiety of Avodah Hashem, so Hashem says to Klal Yisrael, that's not my mitzvah, that's your baggage. My Torah is the Rechecha Darche Noam. It should be a Torah of pleasantness. So oftentimes we have to tease out what's my own doing, uh, my own stress that I'm putting on myself, and what is the Torah actually requiring of me? And this is uh, relevant in many areas. Pesach is obviously one where people stress out months beforehand, and we always have to ask ourselves the questions. What is the Kodesh Baruch asking from me? What's required from the Halacha? And what's my own stress and my own anxiety? Somebody said to me on Shabbos when he saw the, the title of the shir, he said, wow, this is so relevant. <laughs> and the truth is, it is so relevant to all of us. Because Baruch Hashem, we live in a time where the idea of quote-unquote mental illness or psychological struggles and challenges, it no longer has that same stigma as it did not that long ago. Baruch Hashem, we now have the clarity that just like if I hurt my leg as I'm jogging, halavai, that should be true. <laughs> so it's okay to take an Advil. <coughs> my leg is hurting. Not that long ago, the assumption was if, if I have something wrong with me psychologically, then, then it's more flaw in me. So I'm okay when my arm is hurting or my knee is hurting. That doesn't have any defect on, on me. But when I'm depressed, or I'm anxious, or I'm feeling hopeless, then that means there's something wrong with me and that's harder to deal with. The truth is, clinically, a lot of these things are just as physical as hurting your elbow. There are endorphins in the brain, I could be lacking serotonin. There are many things that could be a very physical issue, a very physical source. It has nothing to do with the defect in me. The idea of therapy, which is um, becoming more and more accepted and can be extremely helpful if you find the right therapist. Otherwise, it could be a tremendous waste of money and time. Where does therapy come from? That doesn't go back to Freud or Jung. This goes back to the Gemara and Yuma. Gemara tells us If a person is experiencing a depression or, or anxiety, he should first try to get his mind off whatever it is causing him that anxiety. This is the Peleyoid speaking. Maspiko is Sheyesh. 
try to get your mind off it and get involved with other things. That's assuming, obviously, it's not a real severe case. V'im lo yuchal, and if that's not sufficient, what should the next step be? And this is where he quotes the Gemara. Yesichanu l'acherim. I should speak to somebody. Now, who are these people I should speak to? Explains the Peleoites. So you could speak to a Talmud Chacham, and you could speak to An Mada, people of understanding. Who know how to give you a good suggestion, a good solution. And they're able to speak with you in a way that could pacify the worry, the anxiety. And to bring Yishuv Hadas, to bring, to bring a sense of serenity. And then one of my favorite lines he quotes He says, The wise man has said, Ha'avar Ayin, the past is not here, Ha'asid Adayin, the future is yet to come, Daga Minayin, so why worry? Kum Shte Yayin, have a glass of wine. But the idea of speaking to somebody who's a Talmud Chacham or speaking to someone who's not a rabbi but that they can help and they, they understand human nature and they have training. So the idea of going for therapy and being able to speak to someone well-versed in these issues is, is an idea that we have had going back 2,000 years. Now, oftentimes, if something is severe, most will recommend the combination of medication and therapy. I was very impressed when I saw in the Art Scroll biography of Rebetz and Kanievsky. There was a footnote there that said, certain times people would come, you know, she'd always be bombarded with people asking for brachos, and sometimes they would really stress her out and they'd be all over her and in her face and obnoxious, and she would get very anxious. So once in a while, she would take a medication, it didn't say Xanax, but she would take something prescribed by her doctor to help her relax. So I was impressed for two reasons. The first is that even great people could sometimes have a hard time dealing with some of the, the normal challenges of life, and taking medication might be the right thing to do. But I was more impressed by the fact that they mentioned that in the Art Scroll biography. That means we're coming into a time where Baruch Hashem, the stigma in this area is really, you know, uh, subsiding. The, the topic in general of psychological challenges is one that is very interesting to me. My stepfather was a psychiatrist. My mother is a psychologist. So I come from a background of people always talking about these things, and my stepfather, you know, testing me on the eight steps of Eric Erickson, Piaget, and you know, the, whole, the whole gamut. However, it, it's a very broad topic, and I think it would be Kadai to spend... Today we're going to get involved with OCD a little bit. But we should have another conversation on depression, anxiety, fear. There's so many different areas that we speak about in the psychological realm. And Baruch Hashem, we have many, many sources in the, in the Olam HaTorah that help address it. Does being religious lend to OCD? Is it more likely to be obsessive-compulsive when I'm a religious Jew than it is if I'm just a regular secular guy. I'll turn to some of our experts in the crowd. What would you say? So it's easier to cover it up as being normal. Yeah, easier know, to cover it up. Panel, you want to say anything? I'm here to learn. All I can tell you is my, 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 my mother-in-law, she, she should really be well. 
she saw the number of times that I had to wash my hands before bracha, so this and that, definitely thought that I had some kind of OCD. Uh, <laughs> so it happens to be that, that that's one of the common expressions of OCD within religious Judaism, is washing a lot. But the truth is you'll also find that in the secular world. Someone who's always obsessing about his hands becoming dirty, and then the compulsion is always washing his hands. Now Freud and some of the other you know, early great names in the field of psychology, they were convinced that religion was an expression of obsessiveness. And therefore, stay away from religion because it's just, it's not good for your mental health. Now, theoretically, you could argue, like Mrs. Brenner was saying, maybe to the contrary, that having a structure, having ritual, these things can be very beneficial keeps me grounded, gives me a system, a framework. Rabbi Grunblatt has a cute story. When he was in college, he went to college for like a semester, I think, and he dropped out. So uh, he had a professor who was very anti-religious. And he would, you know, here and there kind of poke fun. So one time he was going on a rant against religion in general, because it makes you feel so guilty. All the rules and regulations, you're always feeling guilty if you're not living up these expectations. And it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing for humanity. So Begumblad at the time was probably about 18 years old. He raises his hand. Yes, Akiva? He says, can I ask you a question, Professor? Let's say I broke into your house and I robbed you of all of your possessions, and then I lit your house on fire. And then I left. Should I feel guilty? Well, of course, that's a very different story. You're doing something bad. So Grimblatt said back, religion, at least in the healthy understanding of Judaism, it's not making you feel more guilty or less guilty. It's helping teach humanity what's right and what's wrong. And if I'm doing something wrong, then I should feel guilty. And there's different forms of guilt. Some are healthy, some are not healthy. But you can't blame religion for guilt. So clearly we do not agree with Freud, and we feel that understanding Yadus, approaching Judaism in an authentic way, can be very helpful. And it's the only cure we have for having any sense of Yishuv Hadas, of real serenity. Let's jump to uh, Ramosha. Ramosha speaks about the idea of speaking to psychologists. This is source number one here on page one. Medover Choli Ruach, Machshavo, Shitzrichen, Lelech, Lerofim, psychologists. Im Rishoyim, Lelech, Leelu, Shehein, Minim, Vakofrim. The question here is if I should speak to somebody, am I allowed to go to someone who's not religious? He's a kofer. He rejects religion. Ramosha says it appears you should not go to that kind of person for healing. Because they're not giving you just medication, but the real healing of therapy is through the therapeutic relationship, through talking and discussing and sharing your life and them sharing eights with you, then no dimeeza machshavos husovel, umiyatsim lo eichlis naheg, shevada yesh lochus shemiyatsim lepoomim neged dinehatora. We have to be concerned that many of their suggestions will be in contrast to the halachos of the Torah. Vaaf neged ikre hados. And even against the foundations of our religion, and they might tell you to do something that's a, a lack of tzniyus, something that we would feel is not helpful. So why should this be different than going to any other kind of doctor? Right? Usually when I'm trying to find a specialist in a particular area, one of the questions is not, 
can you please tell me if you believe in the 13 principles of faith? <laughs> I look into your credentials, I see if you're a good guy in the field. So why is that any different? So says Ramosha, Shekivan Shemarpin Bemine Samim, Ainlo Shaychasim Haminim Shalahem. They're giving you medication or they're doing a surgery. So it's not really connected directly to their worldview. There are certain types of things that are asr, that the Gemara and Avodah speaks about. We had a shir on this a while back. If the practice is based on <coughs> idolatry. But putting those things aside, which are not nearly as common, Ramosha says, in general, going to a doctor, regardless of, of his or her belief system, it's okay. You're going there for refuah. Now, even then, we did mention the Rosh Hashiva of Chafetz Chaim. He had major stomach issues for many, many years. And there is one opportunity they had to see, like, the top specialist in the field. And the Reb David Chait went with the Rosh Hashiva together, and they were talking with this doctor for a while. And the doctor was extremely arrogant, just like oozing with gaiva. So after they left, David Chait said to the Rosh Hashiva, said, listen, you know, it sounds like he really has a plan here. He has a strategy. This is so exciting. We could finally solve it and get to the root issue. Shiva said back, I'm not going to see him again. Why not, Rebbe? He sees he's the top in the field. His gaiva is repulsive to me. I can't be in the same room with him. But he's the number one. So the response was, he's number one, so we'll get number two. That's it. Now, we're not all in that madrega, but generally, Ramosh is saying, we don't really care that much about his belief system to, uh, to benefit from his medical expertise. However, when it comes to psychologists, where the refua is through conversation, we're concerned that they're going to share ideas that are heresy and speak nivel peh. And words in a very inappropriate way. But let's say they're experts in the field. And they make the promise to the parents. Right, so this line sounds like he's speaking about a child going to a psychologist. So this expert psychologist is telling the parents, trust me, I understand and I respect your religious beliefs. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to question them. My goal is just to help him, you know, deal with life. Then, Yeshu lismoch shekiven shehein mumchim lo yishakru. Ramosha says, perhaps you can rely on the fact that they're experts in the field, and they have a good name, and we do have this idea in many areas of halacha, that when someone is a professional, we assume they're not going to lie. Otherwise, they're risking the reputation. So perhaps you could trust them. He says the ideal would be to try to find a psychologist or a therapist or a social worker as long as the healing is through the conversation, try to find someone who's Shomer Torah. If you don't live in Brooklyn, and it's harder to find that, then And then as long as you get their word, and you trust them that they're not going to speak about religion, then that would be permissible. What's that? Right now, now nivel peh, you have to understand what he means by nivel peh. Usually we use that term, right? If, if, if someone's using a bad word, we say there's nivel peh. That's not really what nivel peh is referring to. What's nivel peh referring to? So the Gemara Ksuba says that anyone who's by a chuppah and they say what's going to happen the night of the chuppah, it's a terrible thing. Because just because everyone knows how life works and how human nature works and the point of marriage and what happens after marriage, 
to express it verbally, that's nivelpet. So, so it, it's the context of immorality, of, of, of giving an allowance to someone to, to do something or to, to, to think something the Torah feels is, is not appropriate. Don't go there. And it's hard to get into examples in a public forum, but there are many examples, depending on what someone's struggling with, where a secular therapist or a social worker or a psychiatrist would say, well, it's posh it if, if this is your issue, so then just do that. The problem is, doing that is something that is against Dine HaTorah, and sometimes even against the foundations of Torah. So if you have someone who's Shomer Torah Mitzvah, who's a psychologist, that's L'chad that's more ideal. But realistically speaking, you have to also know who that person is. Not every guy wearing a yarmulke or every woman wearing a shaitel do we assume they're mole, uh, they're filled with, with the hashkafa satorah. And that's why oftentimes the best recommendation is if you have a rav that you trust and you have a good referral to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and you allow conversations within that triangle that's sometimes the best approach. Because sometimes the psychologist, him or herself, might feel this would be a great etza. This would be helpful, but I don't want to recommend it because I know you're religious. If you consult with the Rav, sometimes the answer is, no, no, that's okay. In this situation, doing something that is somewhat outside the box, but for him or her, that could be the refua, and that could be permissible. And sometimes you have the contrary, which Ramosh is worried about, that they're going to advise you to do things that we would not feel is within the guidelines of Torah. Any questions on this step? Okay. Let's jump into OCD. Because we have professionals here, would someone like to give us a little bit of a background to OCD? Dr. Lyons, Mr. Yachnes, Dr. Yachnes. Please. Very briefly, that you and there are different forms that it takes, but you have these thoughts that you can't control that come into your head that you need to that something bad is going to happen. Generally speaking, unless you take a an action, which is a compulsion, to stop the bad thing from happening. So, for example, my parents are going to die in a car accident unless I take ten steps directly straight in front of me. Um, ten times a day, or whatever. and so these thoughts will flood the person's mind, and they know they're not logical, and they also know that they're not wanted, but they still feel compelled to act. That's why I never step on a crack, by the way, on the sidewalk. <laughs> Be very careful with that. But this comes up in many areas within Judaism. Now again, does it mean we have a higher percentage of OCD? You'd have to do the research and speak to the professionals. But there are definitely many areas where if I have those tendencies, it can manifest. I'll give you an example. One of my kids, she's going through a phase of always saying chas v'shalom. So one of her siblings will say something bad. Well, what's, if, if daddy dies, chas v'shalom. Chas, say chas v'shalom. <laughs> so he made a rule in my house you can't say chas v'shalom. Can't. But, but Tati, you cannot say chas v'shalom. That's not healthy. That's not the way Hashem works. Hashem runs the world with love. By saying chas v'shalom or not saying chas v'shalom, or saying it three times fast is not going to make any difference. Don't say chas v'shalom. Uh, washing hands is a big thing. Saying brachos. We're going to read about that in the tshuva of uh, Minchas Asher. I met someone a while back where she said, I have a 16-year-old son who's learning in yeshiva. And, you know, he, he davens along Shmon Esrei. And initially, my husband and I were very, very impressed. Davening like a real man, she must have a lot of kavana. Then we realized he was being tortured. He was standing there for close to 20 minutes saying every word over and over again, and he didn't have the Bechira to do anything else. He was obsessing about making sure he didn't misread a word, and therefore the compulsion was, I have to keep on saying it over and over again. And it's torturous. 
what do I do in that kind of case? Now, one interesting way to, to be mavchin, to be discerning, is it coming from a religious fervor? Is it coming from a holy fire? Or is it coming from something very unhealthy? I think in my limited experience, you ask yourself, am I overly stressed out about this? If I'm feeling the agony and the stress and the anxiety over the mitzvah, then likely that's not coming from a healthy place. That's the marshal of Chafetz Chaim. That's your baggage. If I'm cool, calm, and collected, and I'm trying to do something in the right way because I understand the halacha and I have guidance from my teachers, and I'm trying to do it well. So superficially, looking from the outside, you can see two people doing something very, very similar. One is growing mentally, psychologically, and spiritually, and one is suffering and going through the most torturous experience. Yeah, a lot of the halachas, I, I think, have a different dynamic because, for example, the like, uh, laning or Chris McGill, like, you have to hear every single word, and it makes it crazy. It's got to be silent, and you can't tell. It's like these things lend, it, lend themselves to They do, they do. And I think we all feel that same sense of relief once we hear the entire Megillah and Riyotze, right? Or once you hear Pasha Zohar and, okay, I got it. <laughs> That's true. But, but I, ultimately, we do have halacha, and we do have these examples of, of hearing every word and, and not missing something. But again, it's how I approach it. If I know the halacha and I'm able to, to implement it, so that means if we're reading Parsha Zohar and then we have a couple kids that start screaming and we miss a, a sentence, what's my reaction? Is it, oh my God, oh my gosh! Or is it, okay, we're going to have to read that Pasuk again because we didn't hear it. So it all depends on how it's affecting me. Right? So there are many things that if I, if I lose myself, it could make me more anxious. The goal of Darchecha Darche Noam is to be able to understand the Digduke Halacha and, and, and approach it in a healthy way. Let's take a look here at a couple of interesting examples of OCD. And I've, I've read different articles that it sounds like up to 2% of the population suffers from OCD. So that means we have millions and millions of people to different degrees who are suffering with this. Talmud Chacham Muflag Shemayim. There is a tremendous Talmud Chacham who is suffering from OCD. And the majority of the time he was not able to pronounce the bracha in the proper way. Or to say Shema. And oftentimes he would spend a long, long time trying to pronounce the, the, the Shem Hashem and just not, not doing it well. And he was suffering greatly from this. And I think the beauty of the first paragraph of this particular tshuva is you see, the people who suffer from OCD, it's not just a 16-year-old boy. You have a Talmud Chacham Muflag. That means it's someone who knows a lot more Torah than we do. Everyone suffers from this. According to the expert opinion in this realm, What's, what's the, uh, the solution, or at least the aids are given to people who suffer from this, from the professionals? The Eitzah is, never repeat it a second time. You say it once, regardless of how well you think you did, don't say it a second time. And if you didn't say it well the first time, the bracha or the tefillah, don't do it again. And in this fashion, the, the experts tell us we have hope. We have, uh, we have light at the end of the tunnel, lahokil al mitsukoso, to somehow take away that suffering. So that was the advice given to this Talmud Chacham. Talmud Chacham said, nafsho b'sheilaso, and when he asked the question, his neshama was within the question itself. Kasher borer lo kishemish, shelohoges Hashem kidin. His question was, if I know for sure I didn't say the shem Hashem appropriately, 
Velo yotze yadei chalvasa beberchaso, and I wasn't yotze saying a bracha, ha'im mutter lo lechol, can I still eat? So the professionals are telling him, that's what you have to do. You try one time, regardless of how you do, and you move on. You take a bite out of the apple. So he's asking Rav Asher Weiss, am I allowed to do that? And even if you'll tell me it's permissible, Maybe I should at least avoid eating bread so I don't have to bench. Because we know all brachos are derabanan, except for benching. Benching is a mitzvah deraisa. He says, maybe even if I do have bread, I shouldn't eat to the point of satiation, so I'm not neglecting a Torah mitzvah. So, two-pronged question, A and B. A, can I listen to the advice of the doctors and only say it one time and move on, even though I know for sure I'm not yotze, the bracha, or the tefillah? B, imtim tzalomer, if I could do that, should I avoid eating bread, so at least I'm not neglecting a Torah mitzvah? question, but does that not make that person, let's say they can't say it once, does it not make the person more nervous and anxious? I'm about to say it. I only have one chance. Like, uh, it could be, but I think, I think ultimately if they're able to listen to those instructions, it could be liberating. I'm only allowed to say it once, no matter how I do. So that was the advice given by the doctors, and the question is, halachically, can I follow that advice? Says Rav Asher Weiss, Nira bezel halacha, and this is a fundamental idea in all areas of psychological health and physical health. The reishis chovasa shel ish zelasos es kol hanidrash al menas limso mazer amarpe lemachlaso. Your main goal right now in life has to be: I need to get myself to a healthier place. That should be your main focus. Uleshem kach. And because of this, <coughs> you'd be allowed to transgress the mitzvahs of the Torah. So right off the bat, he's saying something fairly radical. Because I need to get myself out of this rut. And this is the advice given by the experts. I'm allowed to neglect mitzvahs of the Torah. It's just so we're going to get into the details. We're going to, we're going to get into the details. Vezos michodavitrei tamil, and let me explain why. So first off, he says as follows. Kavar biyardi makomacher, I've explained elsewhere, that it's permissible for a person to neglect doing a mitzvah, kedei shelo yipo If I know that by doing this mitzvah, I'm going to become sick, even though it's not Sakanas Nefashas, my life is not in danger. But one good example would be, I know, you know, uh, someone has Crohn's disease. And even a little bit of wheat makes me in bed for three or four days, and I, I can barely function. Is it Sakanas Nefashas? You could argue it's not. You could argue it is. Assuming it's not. So, do I have to eat matzah in Pesach? We don't have oat matzah available. The only matzah we have here is wheat matzah. So on one hand, you would argue, it's a mitzvah saseh medir to have a kazayas. There's a Torah obligation. Rav Asher Weiss is telling us, and we're going to see more in Scheinberg as to where this comes from. Rav Asher Weiss is telling us that if this will make you sick, you do not have to do the mitzvah. Question. Does that pertain only to physical illness? No. Nope. And we're going to see it because Rosh Hashanah supplies it for the whole spectrum. The importer who milavazva is hon rav. One source is we know that when it comes to a mitzvah losa, something the Torah says not to do. So, for example, the Torah says, "Don't extinguish a fire on Shabbos." Let's not get technical here with the Malach HaShem, Let's just assume the Torah says, don't put out a fire on Shabbos, um, unless it's Pikuach Nefesh. So I'm living somewhere on a farm, there are no other homes around me, there are no other people around me, so by letting the fire go, no one else is in danger. I walk home Friday night from shul, 
I'm going solo this weekend, no one else is home. I see the candles have caught fire to the curtain, and the whole side of the wall is up in flames. So I have two choices to make it hypothetical. I don't have neighbors, I don't have a phone. Two choices. I could watch my house burn to a crisp, along with my $50,000 I have under the mattress, and my whole life savings. Or, I could get a hose and maybe do a pishinui in other ways and put out the fire. So the answer is, if there's a real negative mitzvah, the Torah says not to do something, that means even at the cost of everything. Now when it comes to a positive mitzvah, right, where there's a Torah obligation to do something, well, how much do I have to spend? Do I have to give up every penny I have to, to do the mitzvah of, of Lulav and Esrog? The answer is you have to spend a fifth. A fifth of your overall assets, that's how much is required of you for a mitzvah say. So says Rav if you don't have to spend all of your money, you don't have to spend more of 20% of your money for a positive mitzvah. If the, the, the suffering that I'm experiencing is something that would be equivalent to more than a fifth of my assets, then the same logic should apply. So for example, if, if, if I'm constantly suffering from OCD, and you would come to me and say, you know what, there's an amazing treatment out there that would cure you 100%. You never have to go through that torture of always questioning yourself and always obsessing about all these things. Now, it will cost you $50,000. And $50,000 is more than 20% of everything you own. Would you do it? I think most people would say, yes, I would love to live a life without torture and suffering. So says Rav Asher Weiss, because when it comes to a positive mitzvah, you don't have to spend more than a fifth of your assets, the same thing is true, you don't have to get yourself sick to the point where it's the equivalent loss. And because we're talking about neglecting to do a positive mitzvah, namely, I'm not saying a bracha well, or I'm not davening well, it appears to me that it's permissible to not do the mitzvah if that will help you have a refuah. If it's impossible in a different way. So many theoretically, if someone would tell you, you could take this suggestion of only saying a bracha one time and never repeating yourself, or you can meditate for 20 minutes a day. Or you could take a nice combination of frankincense and other, you know... <laughs> right. So if there's another way, so then obviously don't neglect the mitzvah. But if the doctors are saying this is the only way to have a refuah, this is what you have to do. <coughs> I just want to share with you a little bit of the background to this, uh, this ruling. This is not someone who has... Very significant level of OCD, where it's it's just something that they're thinking in their head and choosing to do. What's that? This this is referring to someone who who's, who's, who doesn't have, uh, you know, a very significant OCD. This is referring to someone who does not have. Yes, who has who, who can who you can tell to just not do it. And as long as he knows that it's okay to not do it, can do so. Well, it's referring to anyone who would listen to your advice. You're arguing it could be, if, if I'm very severe, I, I, I can't listen. I'm, I'm so rigid in my compulsions that, that I can't heed your advice. It could be. But assuming I could listen, and as long as the Rosh Hashiv is telling me, and the doctors are telling me, all the holy people in the world are saying, this is what you have to do, if I could listen, this would be a valid refuah. I want to shed a little bit of light in the background here from a halachic perspective. There's a question in general, am I allowed not to do a mitzvah? If I know by doing so, it'll make me sick. So Rav Asher Weiss is assuming the answer is yes. Rav Scheinberg, in his Sefer Mishmeres Chaim, he says the truth is there is a debate. This is actually not in the sheet, I apologize. He quotes the Maram Shik and the Chelkas Yoav, who are both of the opinion that as long as you're not endangering your life, 
even though by going through with the mitzvah you're making yourself sick, you would still have an obligation to do so. That was the opinion of the Miram Shik and the Chalkas Yov. On the other hand, he quotes from the Besamim Rosh and the Kafa Chaim. An interesting question. One's wife was not able to take the moror on Pesach. It was too bitter, and that was the only moror they had. And if she were to eat a kazayas of that moror, she wouldn't feel well for a day or two. And, and her yontif would become a tsar. She wouldn't feel good for Pesach. And you're asking for advice. So the tshuva, the answer of the besamim rosh and the kafachayim is, lo me boy, she doesn't have to eat moror. If it'll make you sick to the point where you can't function normally and you have to lay down, then we would not obligate you to do something that's difficult. Now, difficult meaning because it has this impact on me. Someone was asking me yesterday without naming any names, do I have to wash for shalashudas? So generally the answer is, it's a mitzvah to have bread for the third meal, and it's a mitzvah to have a kezayas of bread. Now, if I'm so stuffed from lunch that having a kezayas of bread would not be oneg Shabbos at all, it would be mius, it'd be disgusting and repulsive, so then don't have a kezayas of bread. You could be yotze with mazonos, if you can't do mazonos, you could be yotze with fruit, do something. The response back was, I'm not that full, it's just the whole hassle of washing and then benching. <laughs> so that's not a, that's not a patur. That's not a valid exemption. <laughs> so I said, go wash and have a kezayas of bread. But if it's something like this, where it's, it's making, it's, it's really having an impact on me, then, according to the B'Samim Rosh, the Kafachaim, and also the Binyan Shlomo, you would not need to do that mitzvah. In, in the case of the Binyan Shlomo, this is the last uh, opinion here, he writes, Lenias Daiti Nira Pashit, the Cholkagonze, Talya Bahargasha, Shemargi Shachola, Baatzmo. It all depends on how the person, him or herself, feels. Sha'efsha Shayazik Lo, Im Yocha Kazayas Matzah. He's not only referring to Moror. Moror, you could argue, okay, it's a mitzvah derabanan, maybe we're more lenient. He's talking about even the Kazayas of Matzah, which is a, a Torah obligation. Im Yocha Kazayas Matzah, Moror, O Im Yelech Lusuka. He uses a more severe expression. Not only do you not have to do this, you're not allowed to do this. Just like when it comes to Yom Kippur, and someone's life is in danger if they fast, and therefore the doctors and the rabbis tell him, you cannot fast. If you choose to fast anyway, that's a violation of Torah law. You're endangering your life. The, the Binyan Shlomo applies this even to a case that's not pikuach nefesh. But if you knew by doing the mitzvah that will bring you to a case of choli, that'll make you sick, you're not allowed to do the mitzvah. So we have different opinions in the Achronim. Oh. So right now we're only addressing not doing a mitzvah. Not doing, a positive, not doing a positive mitzvah. Right? We haven't got to doing a negative. We haven't got there yet. But within the realm of not doing a positive mitzvah, we have this debate amongst the Achronim. Comes along with Scheinberg and says something gorgeous. How do we paskin? So he says, We have different opinions. And the, you know, the gedorim, the way to set it up, is not so clear. But with the help of God, I'd like to paskin a beautiful psak. Later on, I explain um, in a different context that there are two types of two types of people who are sick, where it's not at all a danger to their life, but they're cholish she'ein bo The first type is a cholia rai. 
you happen to be sick. I have the flu. I have strep. I'm not feeling well. However, there's a second category of holy kavua, where there's an ongoing illness, there's an ongoing issue. If it's regarding one limb or something without the body, throughout the body, and this issue is not just a one-time thing where I'm not feeling well for a few days, but it, it, it causes me pain or anguish throughout my whole my whole way of life. So there, Scheinberg says, we paskin that if it's an ongoing struggle, then we would definitely embrace the Binyan Shlomo and the Bissam Rosh and the Kafachayim, where you do not have to do this mitzvah if it's only adding fuel to that ongoing fire. If it's something temporary and you could push yourself to the mitzvah, then push yourself. He quotes from the Avnei Nezer, interesting uh, question. He says, Yelet Hanole Beregel, Okum. A child is born on Yantif. And there's some kind of dysfunction, disformation of the leg. And one of the expert doctors say there's actually a way to make it straight. However, this process is somewhat intense and somewhat um, taxing on the child to the point where he would not be able to have his bris on the eighth day. So the question posed to the Avnei Nezer at the Sakachagar is, are we allowed to go through with this? On one hand, it's not pikuach nefesh. On the other hand, the doctors are telling us, if we don't do this now, we're going to miss that window. If we do it now, then we can't fulfill the mitzvah of bris in the eighth day. And there's a positive mitzvah. As soon as the eighth day comes, you have to give your son a mila. So says the Avnei Nezer, Im ha'emes kedivri harofim, if what they're saying is accurate, then it's clear you're allowed to do this procedure. Just like you don't have to spend more than a 20th of your assets to perform a mitzvah. So the same thing should be applicable in this case. This is the equivalent to 20% of your money. Having the, the, the opportunity to have the child walk in a normal way for the rest of his life you should for sure do the procedure, and even if that means you can't do the bris till the child is a month or two old, that would be okay. So when you apply this idea of Scheinberg back to, to, to Rav Asher Weiss, I think we have a, a, a deeper understanding of where he's coming from. Because something like OCD is in category two, it's a holy kavua, it's with me my whole life and everything I do and everything I'm thinking, so then we would paskin, you don't have to do the positive mitzvah if it's only adding fuel to that illness. Now how about the other one? Would we go so far as to say, I'd be allowed to do an iser. I'd be allowed to do something the Torah says not to do. What would be an example of that? So Rav Asher Weiss, in dealing with this, this Talmud Chacham Muflag, who was having a very hard time saying a bracha, According to some, if you eat food without a bracha, that's usr. There's interesting debate. Is saying a bracha before eating just a positive mitzvah? You have to say a bracha before eating. Or, as some are, are gleaning from the, the Gemara itself, it's usr to eat without saying a bracha. If you take that approach, that if I don't say the bracha, I'm doing something usr, can I still listen to the advice of the doctors and only say it once regardless of how I say it? So we're not going to have time to do the whole tshuva now as the hour is running late. But of Usher Weiss, gleaning it from the Chassam Sofer, there's a famous tshuva of the Chassam Sofer. We're going to skip that for now. But he says, the Gemara tells us in Yuma, the logic behind why you're allowed to break Shabbos to save a life. What's that logic? Oh, so that's the next step of the Gemara. The first step is, it's a svaro. Logic dictates that if we're breaking one Shabbos to save this person's life, but now this person will keep many Shabbosos in the future, that's why you're allowed to do it. That's what the Gemara first says. 
However, the next step of the Gemara is one second. According to that logic, that would mean if you know by saving this person's life, he's only going to live another day or two, but you know for sure somehow he's not going to make it to next Shabbos, then you couldn't save his life. The Gemara responds back to that, but we have a source. When the Torah says in Achere Mos, Vachai Bahem, you should live by the mitzvos. We derive from there, Vachai Bahem, Veloshayomus Bahem. You should live by them, not die by them. And that's the conclusion of the Gemara. So the question is like this. Once we have that conclusion, that the, the permission or even the obligation to break Shabbos to save a life is based on the verse, does that mean we're falling off the logic of you're allowed to break one Shabbos to keep more Shabbosos? Or do we still hold on to that logic to some degree? And I'll tell you why it's not an academic question. It's a very real question. If we're still holding on to that logic, and the only reason why we need the verse is to say you're allowed to break Shabbos even when you know he won't keep another Shabbos. But in general, we believe in the philosophy, break one Shabbos to ensure future Shabbosos. Then you could apply that same thing to our discussion. Maybe by eating without saying a bracha, you're doing an iser. You're doing something wrong. But if this is the way that will bring a refuah for me to say brachos in the future in the right way, then we'd say, break Shabbos or break the iser of eating without a bracha in order that you could say a bracha the right way for the future. Well, so so that, that way of saying it is very dangerous, right. and, and again, what I, what I would recommend, we're, we're just really scratching the surface. These are ideas that are explosive, and if misapplied, they could lead us to directions that are, are far off the Derech HaTorah. We, we generally do not believe in the idea the ends justify the means. L -l -l Let's for now leave it as an idea, as a, as a general concept. I want to share with you a couple of interesting cases that the stipler dealt with regarding OCD. Um, and we'll call it a day. So Rav Usher Weiss comes out, Halacha Lamaisa, you're allowed to neglect a positive mitzvah, and you'd even be allowed to do something the Torah says not to do if this is your refuah. A couple of examples here that the stipler deals with, Rav Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky. One's a case where a, a young man was writing him, and, uh, and this is somewhat common in, in film circles when the child is suffering with OCD. I think I made a neder. I think I took an oath. Because sometimes, even thinking something bahachlata in a, in, a, in a real way, that could have the status of an oath. And I'm living my life obsessing about the shvu I might have taken. So he says back to this young man, he says, this question actually was posed to Rav Chaim Brisker. And he answered, She'ein kan lo nedorim. There's no oath, there's no neder, there's nothing here that's binding. Kikola machshavos halolu. Because all of these thoughts that are going through your head, ein behem shum mamish klal. They have no significance halachically. Me'acher she'ein no sholit ba'atzmo lidchosan. Because you don't have the total control to get those thoughts out of your mind, they have no halachic significance. And he says there are other reasons as well, but there's no need for other reasons. Let's take Rav Chaim Brisker and go with that. That apply if, if you actually said it then? Because I blurred it because I couldn't Anything that I don't really have control over has no, has no din of a neder. And this is helpful as well when you have kids who are struggling, teenage boys who are, are struggling with this issue, and I know I'm not supposed to be thinking about this, but I am, and I tell myself to stop, but then I think about it more, and I can't dive into Esri without having this image in my head. Ah! The answer is, the Shiva used to say, the mind is an open garbage pail. Relax. Things pop into your head. You could be davening Shmon Esra and you start having a vision of Mickey Mouse dancing around or something else. That's okay. Listen. We try to change the channel, try to think about something else, but relax. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter has a letter where he says, when it comes to the olam ha 
right, when I'm trying to control my, my thoughts, the only way that you'll have any hatzlach in doing so is by being really chilled out. Because when you get stressed and anxious about trying to control and limit and push something out of your brain, that's just making me think more of that same thing. Take a big deep breath. I realize a lot of stuff I've seen throughout my life. And then I try hard. But your shvu means nothing. In Reishai and Gimbal, he has a letter, a couple of the examples we've given before, of let's do the second paragraph here. One who's ready to listen, and you could tell him, she is palal besidder, daven with the sitter, umashikavar avar lo yachser love, beshum ofen. And whatever you said, don't repeat it again, no matter what. Even if you think for sure I didn't say it in the right way or I skipped words, keep on going. Says the stipler, based on halacha, there is nothing more required of you. And, and here's a very key point. But you can't explain this to someone who's suffering. You just have to say, this is what it is, without giving any reasons. Because once you give any reason, you're just adding more to their obsessive compulsiveness. Rav Asher Weiss has an amazing piece at the end, which we skipped. He said, regarding question B of the rabbi, even if I'm allowed to only say the bracha once, should I avoid eating bread? So to that he answers, this is on page, two, page three, in base, he says, in the second paragraph, Don't be concerned about that at all and feel free to eat bread and say hamotzi. This is the very essence of this, of this issue. Because you're always, you're, 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 you're causing yourself pain by analyzing and agonizing over maybe I didn't do it the right way. And I, I wasn't mehem. Only when you're able to free yourselves from, from that thought process, then potentially you, you find the healing. If we would paskin, you know what? That's a good point. Stay away from eating bread. Or at least don't eat to satiation. What would happen then? We'd have a thousand more questions. For example, well, should I also not eat a pras? Maybe I could eat bread, but I should make sure that the kazayas takes me more than 10 minutes. Or maybe I should only eat through an IV and not eat in the regular way. And therefore I don't really have a chiyabracha. And it's not considered a chiyabracha. And maybe I shouldn't really sleep a shaynas keva, so I don't have to make a bracha satur in the morning. Says Rabbi Wise, you can't give a psak like that because you're only causing more suffering. Don't get confusing, don't get complicated, don't start getting halachic. Behechlet, and this is what the stipler is saying. Tell him clearly, you say it once, and you go on, and that's all you're allowed to do. Addressing a case of someone who washes, their, washes themselves um, after going to the bathroom. Right, they're, they're overly obsessing and therefore compulsive about cleaning themselves well. The stipler quotes from the Divrei Chaim. He says, listen, in the olden days, they would use three stones and a little bit of water, whatever it was, and shine. He says, the best way is you wipe yourself five or six times with paper. You could use some moisture. And don't pay attention afterwards. If you're 100% clean, you should make sure you're not moist. That's not a healthy thing. But do what you should do and move on. What should I do? Five or six times, a little bit of moisture. Don't be concerned about it. I but the Shulchan Aruch says a little bit of shmutz. Move on. He says furthermore, and you find this as well when it comes to the place of the tefillin, tefillin shalrosh. 
right? Now, it's something we all try to do, and there are different ways of, you know, getting it aligned. But again, if someone's suffering with OCD, th this could be a torturous experience. Your whole davening, I'm thinking about it being exactly straight. It's, it, it's, it's painful. So says the stipler, the same thing is true with the Hanachas Tefillin. The postkim tell us, it doesn't need to be exactly Be'em Tzaharoch. It should be, it should be in, in the middle. If it's a little bit off, that's okay halachically. Lo Let's jump to the last few cases here. We'll call it a day. Page five. This is interesting as well in the halachic realm. Someone who feels they have to go to the bathroom. And the halacha is, if I have to go to the bathroom during davening, then I should stop davening and go to the bathroom. However, if I'm always thinking about, do I have to go to the bathroom... That could be a torturous experience. Says the stipler, I received your letter. I understand the, the severity of this, of this problem. Where is it coming from? I sense that you're afraid of, of transgressing the prohibition, of, of holding it in. And this is how we work. This is human nature. Whenever I think, maybe I have to go to the bathroom, then you have to go to the bathroom. I want to teach you something that's very chashiv. This we have one of the great postkim in the back of the Shulchan Arach. He paskins. Any time you have to go to the bathroom, but that feeling or sensation could go away if I get involved with something else, that doesn't mean you have to go to the bathroom. So for example, if you weren't davening and you didn't have that religious component, you're doing work at your desk on the computer, and you might have to go to the bathroom a little bit, but I have this email to return, and I could sit here and focus for the next 45 minutes without being disturbed. So that means you don't have to go to the bathroom. If you can't take your mind off it because physically I have to relieve myself, so then you have to go to the bathroom. And he says, Everyone should conduct him or herself like the Eishel of Ram to avoid this constant game we're playing in our minds. And at the bottom here, he says something beautiful. He says, I really don't have the strength. At this point in his life, he was very old and, and not well. I don't have the strength to return letters. But when I read your letter and I saw that you were suffering so much pain, I forced myself, I forced myself to write back to try to alleviate your pain. Hashem should give you siyat And the last case here is one we've discussed one who has a hard time saying Kriya Shema, it takes him a long time to Davin Shmon Esrei, says the stipler, again, the same advice he gave before, only say it once, but here he says an amazing line, V'asr lomer lehem rayos v'svaros. Not only is it a good idea not to try to explain where you're coming from, it is asr to tell them why. It has to be behechlet. This is what the great rabbis are saying, this is what all the experts in the field are saying. This is what a Kodesh Baruch Hu wants from you. And he concludes by saying, After all of these suggestions, We always need Siyata Deshmaya. Hashem Yisbaruch Yerachem Gamalzev Hashem should send everyone in need of Refua Shalema. So, in summary, we, uh, we just grasped a service over here. We spoke about an idea that's relevant not just to some of us, but to all of us. We believe in therapy. Therapy, therapy can be extremely helpful. That's not a modern invention. That goes back to the times of the Gemara. Medication can also be extremely helpful, and the combination of therapy and medication can oftentimes change you as a human being. We focused on Ramosha's idea of who can I speak to? Am I allowed to speak to someone who's not Shomer Torah Mitzvos? And the basic answer is, ideally, better to have a Frum Jew as a therapist. 
we'll have to address the Yichud questions at different time. That happens to be a major concern when therapy of one gender with the other for a different conversation. Um, but if you can't find someone who's Shema Torah Mitzvos, at least get someone who's an expert and who you could trust. They're not going to get involved with that religious aspect of things. And therefore, like we mentioned, ideally you want to have the triangle of your religious person and also your, your expert in the medical field. Asher Weiss spoke about OCD. He told us, and we saw the background from Scheinberg, that if it's an ongoing illness as OCD is, or as many psychological or physical things can be, so then you're allowed to neglect doing even a positive mitzvah. And the chiddush of Rav Asher Weiss was, even I'm allowed to do something the Torah says not to do, based on that idea of it's okay to be mechalal one Shabbos in order to keep many Shabbosos, but again, don't apply this at home without consultation and conversation. The last point here, we saw different examples from the Stipler and Rav Asher Weiss regarding how to deal with OCD. Everything needs hadracha from those who are experts. These are some of the basic guidelines. So it's not, it's not about a formal heter. We'll now give you a document. You can frame on your wall. You have a heter from Rabbi Asher Weiss. But I think it's worth the conversation because oftentimes we feel we can't do certain things because religion restricts us. When the answer is, no, 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 you have to do that. And sometimes we may feel okay about doing something else when in reality there might be a better option. So for sure worth the conversation. Shkoyach, everybody.